0: Good morning, everyone. I hope this finds you all very safe and well. One of the perils of being a bishop is that five or six times a year I used to get invited to rather fancy dinners, bankers, accountants, insurers and the like. And I invariably found myself sitting next to people who I'd never met before, didn't know anything about and probably wouldn't ever meet up with them again. But I knew nothing about them. So I'd start by saying, tell me something about yourself, please, at the start of what might prove to be a very long evening. And I'd then learn where they were born and grew up, what they did for a living, what their children did, where they went on holiday, and even on a bad night, the make of their car and the name of their dog. But all that had to do with what I call our public journeys, our public lives, that part of our lives which is concerned, with what we do, with places and events, with jobs and possessions. And all that is, of course, hugely important until the moment when we come to die. For then, the only journey that will have mattered is that other different journey, the inner private journey, that journey that has to do with other and perhaps more difficult words, words like trust and hope and wonder, Words like pain and loneliness and grief, words like forgiveness and love. And if you're a Christian, such words take on a new dimension and you know that your life is also a journey into mystery, a pilgrimage of faith, an exploration of the nature of the Christ-like God and our relationship with him. And in the end, though of course they're interrelated, it is this inner more private journey, which is the one that really counts. Not what I possess, not even what I've done, but who I am, what I am, what I've become. I've called it private, but it isn't a journey that we can make alone. It's a journey we make as a person in relationships of love and friendship. And not only is this there within us a deep human instinct to belong, But the whole impetus of Jesus' teaching is towards the creating of a community. And the entire New Testament story leads us witnesses to this truth. That what every church exists to do is to bring us into the kingdom, damaged, dysfunctional people that we are, and recreate us as the body of Christ, which has existed, of course, since the very first Easter day. Now every community needs a base and that's why these last months have been so difficult. Because from the start, Christians have set aside buildings where the church can come together to do certain things which are essential to all our lives, to hear the word of God proclaimed, to celebrate the sacraments. To celebrate the story of God's self-giving love, the story of a birth and a life and a death and a rising which contains and unites and illuminates our own human stories of living and suffering and dying and makes sense of them. And when each of us comes to look back in the evening of our lives at what is for us of lasting value, I guess we shall remember certain people and certain places with particular affection. The place perhaps in which you or your children were baptised, or confirmed, or married, or where those you have loved the most have been brought for their funerals. The Bible, after all, has a very special sacramental view of place. The belief that we encounter God in this or that specific place in order that we may consequently find Him everywhere. The God of both the Old and New Testaments is one who dwells with his people in certain places. On Mount Sinai, Bethel, Shiloh and in the temple. And the scandal of the Gospel is the incarnation God made known in the life and death of a crucified Jesus from an unimportant town in a bit of a backwater, Nazareth. Canterbury and Iona and Lindisfarne and Jerusalem, these are the grand places of God revealing himself. And yet some of us may find God in much more modest places of worship. For just as houses pick up the spirit of those who live in them, so churches soak up into themselves the vibrations of the people who've prayed and grieved and celebrated within their walls over centuries. And the stones begin to absorb something of the beauty of the worship and the human longings that have filled the air. Yet God's building in the end, of course, isn't primarily in terms of public buildings of brick and wood and glass and stone, but of flesh, living stones, whose foundation is Jesus Christ. And we who have given our allegiance to Christ are called to live as those who have harmonised their public and their private journeys, so that there is an integrity between what we do and who we are, between how we live and what we believe. And if there isn't, guess what? Church is full of hypocrites. How many times have I heard that said to me? Often from people trying to justify their own lack of involvement in the life of the church. Jesus was very hard on hypocrites, on people like the scribes and the Pharisees because of their self-righteousness. They weren't wicked people. They kept the law scrupulously. But it was their belief that they were more virtuous than anybody else that was their undoing. At least I am not like other people. When Jesus condemns them it is because they are good people but they trust in themselves. They don't trust in God. They don't believe there's anything more to be learned or to be understood. They're closed in to the truths that God wishes to reveal. And the truths by which we have to live today are simply those given to us as the body of Christ. First, that God, his name is Father, and his heart is a heart of love. So that when the evening of our life comes, we shall be judged on love. Those are words of St John of the Cross. When the evening of our life comes, we shall be judged on love. Judged on whether what we believe matches how we live. And we shall be judged too by the loving and sensitive way we have responded to and helped those women and those men who've come to us searching. Searching so that they become aware that God's name is Father and that his heart is a heart of love. Now there may be among us those whose lives are feeling pretty badly bruised at present those who have may have come to us in desperation or those who can't find any real purpose or hope in life. And perhaps we shall be judged most of all as to whether we make it easy for them to come to our place of worship and find not only the beauty of stone and glass and music and liturgy, but find also truthful words, caring people and love and life and hope. And so that then they can go out encouraged, strengthened, consoled and affirmed and loved. And this is the time and this is the place and we are his people, his body, the body of Christ.